Have you rejected your own fleshly, selfish, under the sun, here on earth life that Solomon is talking about week by week? Have you repented of that? Turned to God for the forgiveness that comes only by the blood of Jesus shed for you? Okay, so from Lamentations, you're going to back up a little bit in your Bible to Ecclesiastes. And we are going to carry on walking through Ecclesiastes. Today we get to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. One of the hardest things about the season of life that we are all in right now is how repetitive it can feel, isn't it? It seems to be a common feeling among us at the moment that we're doing the same things on the same days every week and there seems to be no break in the cycle and the routine for now. It seems very repetitive, almost endless. It seems like and it feels like that things will just continue like this with no end in sight and that can really get us down, can't it? Now, you know and I know, you really know and I really know that this isn't going to be the case. Life will not continue like this forever and ever and ever. But that's how it can feel and that's how it can look at the moment. No end in sight. Just this continuous cycle of things that will get us down. And this is exactly what Solomon is going to talk about in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. So it is a great chapter for us now as individuals and also as a church as well. So we're going to walk through it. We're going to see what it says. We're going to see what it means. And we're going to see where it takes us. Uh, so as Abby read for us, Abby, thank you. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And Solomon, first, he picks up a thread from last week. In verses 1, 2, and 3, he sees this continual cycle of oppression. He says, I again considered all the oppression that continually occurs on earth. He says, the oppressed are in tears. Now, he's writing about people whose lives are singularly defined by the oppression that they face. Not people with first world problems, like the cable from your camera stops working for five seconds, or your Wi-Fi drops, or the supermarket doesn't have your favorite brand of tea or coffee. He, is, he has seen people whose lives are seriously and genuinely oppressed. They are being taken advantage of. And he says there's nobody to deliver them. Maybe your Bible says there's nobody to comfort them. So he thinks about this as he's been thinking about many, many things. And he says, you know what? It's better. The people who've already died, they're better off because they don't experience this anymore. And he says, do you know what? Better than the people that have already died are the ones that have never been born yet. Not been born at all because they have not seen all of the evil that happens on the earth. He's saying that life is so hard. Life can be so unfair, confusing, and frustrating. And actually, it's better that you just don't see it. It's better that you just don't. And he carries on and, he th and then he thinks about work for a bit. So life's really hard. What about, so what do we do? With our time. So he thinks about work. He says life is hard in general. Perhaps there's a break from this cycle in work. You know, what we do with ourselves. He's already 
kind of thought about this. Last week in chapter 3, he said, I perceive there is nothing better than for people to enjoy their work because that's the reward. So he's thinking maybe then work is a way out of this cycle. Maybe work will bring us a bit of peace in the puzzle. Let's think about work for a moment then. Maybe work is a way out of this negative, repetitive, endless cycle of life. He says, I considered all the skillful work that is done. And he says, do you know what? Work is just one massive competition between people. Maybe your Bible says something like work is just jealousy or work is just envy or rivalry or, or, or suffering or wrath. He's saying that as with lots of other things that we use to try and break out of this cycle, this endless cycle, this repetitive cycle of life, ultimately using work like that is profitless and meaningless and smoke. He says, do you know what? The fool doesn't actually go to work, but then he doesn't provide for himself. So it's better to work a little bit and to have a little bit. And in this passage, verses 4, 5, 6, he gives us three different approaches to work from his under-the-sun earthly perspective. He said you can be an absolute workaholic, ultra-competitive. You can be a lazy fool. Or you can try to find a balance. His point here Don't be a workaholic. Don't be a lazy fool. Do enough to have enough. Because ultimately, trying to use work to break out of this cycle of life, this endless repetitive negative cycle that is seeing life, don't ruin yourself for work. But make sure you're actually doing something, is what he's saying, from this under the sun, earthly perspective on life. Ultimately, then, what he's saying is work is not the break from the cycle of oppression and negativity that many people see it as. So from work, he's then going to think about the rewards of work and where they are shared or not, as the case may be. And straight away, we know this is not going to be a positive conclusion. Look with me at verse 7. So I again considered another futile thing on earth. We know what he's going to say already, don't we? In verse 8, it says, A man who is all alone with no companion, no children, no siblings. There is no end to all his toil, and he's never satisfied with riches. He laments, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This is also futile and a burdensome task. He's writing about a man with no companion, literally one person without a second person. No children, siblings, family, no real connection, relationship, friendship. He's thinking about somebody who is alone. He said, actually there, those people never done working. They're never satisfied with the reward because there's nobody to provide for, to share your work with, to enjoy the fruits of your labor with. He said, it's futile and it's burdensome. You work, 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 work. You've got nobody there to enjoy it with. And then he says, actually, you know, two people is better than, than one person. You can combine your efforts. One person falls, they can help another up. Everybody needs help, he's saying. It's such a blessing to give help, but to receive the help as well. He says, pity the person who's all alone. Two people, he says, can keep one of the warm. What he's saying is that two people can be more productive than just the one. 
One person can be overpowered, overwhelmed. Two cannot. And three, he says, a three-stranded cord is the strongest. Now, in this place and at this time, a three-stranded cord, which was a rope made from twisting together three strands, was proverbially strong. It was a, a truth so commonly known and accepted that it was used to illustrate other things. It's like that, that, that person, they're as strong as a three-stranded cord. In our world, it's like saying, you know, uh, whoa, it's as hot as Bahrain in August. That's just generally accepted that it's really hot here. Or maybe you see somebody park in their car and you say that car is parked as badly as a land cruiser at the mall. You just know what I'm talking about, don't you? So when he said, look, one person, oh, two people's better, but actually three is like a three-stranded cord. What he's saying is that relationship, connection with other people is so important. He's thinking about oppression, which takes him to work as an escape, using work as an escape from the realities of life. But he says that work is just people competing together. When you do it with an under-the-sun earthly perspective, it's just earning and working and earning and working for what he says. And what if you don't have anybody to share it with? You're just working, working. You've got no real deep or meaningful connection with others, friends, family, real relationships of any value. And he is now in full-on pessimism mode, isn't he? You would not invite this guy to your home for dinner with conversation like this. He is, everything that he sees at the moment is so bleak. It is so negative. And he's got a negative view of an opinion about everything. All the steps that he's taken in his mind, he's got a negative view about. Then he broadens his thinking, all right, fine, you know, work, rewards, oh, what if there's nobody? Then he thinks about every person ever, poor, rich, young, kings. In verses 15 and 16, he says, I considered all the living who walk on earth as well as the successor who would arise in his place. So he's thinking about people now and people in the future. He said, there's no end to all the people, nor to the past generations, yet future generations will not rejoice in him. And he's talking about the successor, the next person in the cycle. Solomon simply cannot see anybody coming along to break this repetitive and monotonous negative cycle of life that he sees. He said it's all profitless and like chasing the wind. He's thinking of everybody alive now, all the generations to come, and he cannot see Anybody fulfilling the promise of a future. He says, yeah, there's going to be loads of people to come. And there'll be loads more people after that. And he cannot see anybody fulfilling this promise of a future with anything better. It just keeps on going and going and going. So he sees. And you would not want to hang out with this guy. Would you? you would not want to spend time with a person who sees no point to life. The big idea then that he's giving us in this particular chapter is if we live like this, if we live with this under the sun, earthly perspective, life is going to get us 
down. And I'm not talking about, oh, a bit, I'm a bit feeling a bit blue today. He is saying that life is going to get you really down, seriously down, depressively down. All the oppression, the pointless and meaningless work, the lack of deep and meaningful relationships and connections, and the never-ending cycle that this is all a part of. If we live like this, with this under the sun, fleshly, earthly perspective, life is going to get us down. So where is the break to this cycle? If we live like this, life is going to get us down. So where is the break in this cycle? Well, let me tell you now. Listen to me now. Life is going to get you down. But Jesus wants to build you up. Jesus is going to help you see past all of these transient and temporary trials that we face in life, including those that Solomon has talked about here today. Oppression, pointless and meaningless work, a lack of deep and meaningful, real connections and relationships with other people, and this never-ending cycle that Solomon sees. Jesus is going to help you see past all of the transient and temporary trials that we face because he is both the fulfillment and the evidence of the promise of a better today and a better tomorrow. Solomon says that all of this is going to continue how it always has done. He says there is no end to all the people, nor to the past generations. Even the future will never change. Solomon says it's going to be more of the same, repetitive, routine, and monotonous. Life is boring and dull and like a treadmill, Solomon says. But as Paul writes to the Corinthians, and as we sung together earlier, not only is Jesus the hope and the promise and the evidence of a better present and a future, every one of God's promises find their ultimate yes and amen in Jesus. On a Thursday evening, the 31st of August, 1882, Charles Spurgeon talked about the promises of God. He said there are a very many promises found both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. There was one given at the gate of the Garden of Eden, very near the commencement of human history. There is another right at the end of Revelation. The Bible is a book of precious promises all the way along which we travel like a series of stepping stones across the stream of time. And we can march from one to another and never wet our feet all the way from earth to heaven. All the promises in the Old Testament as well as those in the New Testament are sure and steadfast, he said. The conditional promises, if we believe and if we repent, God will certainly fulfill. And the unconditional ones, the promises of everlasting covenant, he will keep. 
All of the promises that we see in the Old Testament, the New Testament, all the promises of a break in this endless cycle of life find their fulfillment and their ultimate yes in Jesus. From an under the sun perspective, seeing life like Solomon does here, there is no break from the cycle, there is no exit, there is no change, there is no promise of a better tomorrow for you. Your life is just going to be the same every single day, week, month, year. No matter how hard you try, you will never break out of this cycle if you are living like Solomon thought about, saw, and tried. He said, there is no end to all the people, nor to the past. Future generations will not rejoice in those that come after them. He is seeing, Solomon is seeing that things will just carry on. Or he thinks they will. He thinks, Solomon knows there will be a future. But he doesn't think there will ever be an end to it. He can't ever, he cannot picture in his mind a time from this perspective. He cannot see anybody coming along to break this endless negative cycle of life. The repetitiveness of human history. He knows there will be a future. He knows that life will carry on. And we all do, don't we? Deep down, we know that the world is not going to end when we die. But Solomon hasn't seen from this perspective. He hasn't seen the glory of it all, the richness of it all, the splendor and the beauty of it all as we have in the risen Lord Jesus. What Solomon sees is no break in the cycle. We are not the break in the cycle. The good news of Jesus is We can never break this continuous cycle of life getting us down. But Jesus did. He is that ultimate successor, isn't he? He is the one who was raised from death to life everlasting and eternal as the first fruits of the resurrection, as the guarantee that there is more to come. You know, right into the believers, right into the church in Corinth, Paul sets this out really, really clearly. He says that the gospel, the good news of Jesus is how we are saved from this repetitive, endless, doomed cycle of dying without any meaning in our lives. This cycle of uncertainty, no peace in the puzzle that is your life. He says Jesus is how we are saved from the consequences of our sin catching up with us. He says, if you hold firmly to the message that I've told you. He writes that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then Paul says he appeared to this person, that person. Then he appeared to a bunch of people all in the same place at the same time. So nobody's hallucinating. Then Paul says... He appeared to me, and Paul felt so unworthy to meet the risen Jesus. But by God's grace, he says, I did. And then Paul says, look, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. 
And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is futile and your faith is empty. He says, also, we're bearing false witness about God because we're saying that he raised Jesus from the dead. But if he didn't, then we're lying about God. He said, if the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised. Your faith is useless and you are still living in your sins. Furthermore, he says, those who've fallen asleep in Christ, the believers in your life who've died, have also perished. For if only in this life we have hope in Christ, we should be pitied more than anyone. Paul is saying, look, from an under the sun, Ecclesiastes perspective, there is no break from this cycle. And if, 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 if this is all that there is, your faith is useless, is what he's saying. If Jesus has not been raised, we should be pitied. People will look at us and think, oh, shame, sad. They're trying to be their own exit from this endless cycle of life getting us down by believing in a guy that they say was raised back to life. That's really sad. Pity them. But Paul goes on to say that Jesus has been raised from the dead as the first fruits, the guarantee, the evidence of more to come, the promise of a change, the promise of a break in this endless cycle of life that Solomon saw. Paul even lays out for us the order in which this is all going to happen. He writes, Christ, the first fruits, first person to be raised from death to life everlasting. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he has brought to an end all rule and all authority and power. So Jesus then, the first fruit. Then he returns, as we talked about in First Thessalonians, those who belong to him raised to life so let me ask you now is that you do you know in your heart of hearts that you belong to Jesus have you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior as the break from this endless cycle of life that Solomon saw have you rejected your own fleshly, selfish, under the sun, here on earth life that Solomon is talking about week by week? Have you repented of that, turned to God for the forgiveness that comes only by the blood of Jesus shed for you? Do you know in your heart of hearts that you belong to him? If not, if you've not repented of your former ways, if you've not turned to God with whole heart and mind for the forgiveness that comes only through the blood of Jesus shed for you, then you need to, you must. Or the cycle that Solomon saw with no successor coming to change things, where people are born and live and die and that's it, that will be your life. 
That is all you've got to look forward to if you don't turn away from the fleshly, selfish, under the sun life to God for forgiveness and repentance through the blood of Jesus shed for you. This is all that you have got to look forward to. Now is as good as it is ever going to get for you if you don't. But Jesus offers you a way out. Jesus offers you a life that is so much more than you ever thought possible. No matter who you are, where you're from, what you've done, if you repent of your old ways and turn wholeheartedly to God for forgiveness through the blood of Jesus shed for you, There is a way out of this endless, repetitive, oppressive, pointless, meaningless cycle of life that we're in. You know, in that same sermon in 1882 that I read this week, Spurgeon said this to everybody that was there. And it is a great word for us to end on. Especially if you've been feeling the repetitive, endless, and negative cycle of life right now in this season. He said, come then, all who need God's mercy. Is there not a mine of comfort here for you who have been without hope? We will certainly come to him just as we are. Do so, I pray. Come, come, come. For you, for me, and for us then, let us leave behind the endless cycle of life getting us down. And let us come to Jesus for hope, for comfort, forgiveness as the end to this cycle of life. Let us come to Jesus with repentance and in faith for life abundant, for life eternal.